Welcome back, Red Spotters. This is the Red Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, joined by David Francisco this week, and we're talking all things Creed. That's right. We're not just talking about the latest one, Creed 3, but we're also going to do a little bit of a look back, if you can believe it already. There have been three of these films, and we'll also be discussing the original Creed, uh, which in and of itself was the seventh in a franchise or a spinoff, Creed 1, <laughs> back in 2015, and then, of course, Creed 2 back in 2008. 18, which is wow, that's already five years, I think. And then, of course, here we are with Creed 3, which of course features Jonathan Majors, whose star is rising by the minute, as it turns out. And you know, speaking of Jonathan Majors, uh, we also have David here give his thoughts on Quantum Mania, which heavily features that actor and uh, that character. Um, plus the latest coming out of awards season here on Red Spotlight number uh, 435. So here we are back. This time I'm not by myself. By the way, mm. you have no idea <laughs> how long it's taken me to actually be okay with doing a podcast by myself, which was the last one. Because mm. believe it or not, I've tried. I've tried before throughout the years and it's hard. It is hard. Like, I don't know how people who like do streams every day, whether it be on YouTube or Twitch, I don't know how they do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess what they have at their disposal is they have an interactive like chat. (laughs) They have a chat that they can interact with. But me, (laughs) I'm just like, oh, I, I guess I can pretend what somebody would be asking me, but I'm like, just going off all at it and I the thing what also makes it harder is that um, I don't have any breaks because it, it's hard to talk mm-hmm. like continuously for what, what was it two hours that's yeah, a lot that felt like a four hour <laughs> show <laughs> to me it was it was tough so thankfully I was able to finally I guess do something that was okay you know it was mm-hmm. it was a more of a stream of conscious kind of situation but I, I had some things i needed to get off my chest and i also have some things as well there've been some even further developments um from last week so we're going to go ahead and start off there and then we'll get into your thoughts on quantum media and then into the creed films okay um by the way how are you i'm good i'm mm-hmm. just thankful to have somebody <laughs> <laughs> to talk with across the way that way it's not so daunting as it was the last time so um here's the thing last episode i had really come at it from a point of view of just being a bit awkward in terms of like the films that are in contention and in particular uh the the, the winners and or losers of this award season and you know what it's I'm not going to say that it's not there anymore, but look, I guess taking a step back, even though I feel like the industry itself, almost usually, because it's the namesake, they treat the Oscars as the most important one. It's really, you know, the whole award season. And I'm going to like take a step back and look at all of the things that have happened this award season. You know, I got to say it, no other year compares in the slightest to this year as far as how happy it's made me with who's been winning you know because it's Mm -hmm. more than just this year more than any other year that i've like seen all the films that are nominated and that does help by the way get you invested in the award season if you've seen all the movies and if you've liked a good number of them then you can like get yourself in the headspace of like rooting for somebody over the other person or whatever it be 
But still, what has made this remarkably different, David, than in, in previous years is there have been so many different kinds of winners. There haven't been the huge sweeps. Now, there have been front runners. We have a pretty good idea of who's winning what awards come next uh, Sunday because they've been winning more than one, shall we say. But what makes this year so different is the idea that there are um, not – there isn't one category where it's been a sweep where let's say, for example, I guess the closest you would say would be Ki Hui Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. He's won mm-hmm. everywhere except for one. So it's almost a sweep. But even that in and of itself, you have to cherish, honestly, and I'm being serious here, how rare that is. Because in pre- mm-hmm. in all previous years, all of these categories have been just a clean sweep. And this year, what makes it so special and different is that Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, and Screenplay, there have been different winners at different uh, award shows, whether it be, remember, the Golden Globes, or the BAFTAs, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild, uh, or the Producers Guild, or even the Critics' Choice Awards. There have been different winners. Um, Even though I feel like the moment and the momentum for everything everywhere, and you feel it, and you see it, it's it's swelling up, and it's peaking at the right moment, and I feel it's pretty kind of game, set, and match. As I even said myself last weekend when we were doing, when I was doing, I say we, when I was doing the freaking, um, the solo show here when they won DGA. But um, I feel fairly confident. Now, granted, of course, what oftentimes in the past when I've said that, it's usually doomed it. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad mm-hmm. thing to say it so openly, but I feel like it's pretty obvious, right? Like it's going to win Best Picture. Um, but... And a credit to its strength is it's the first movie since Inaritu's movie, Birdman. You've seen Birdman, right? I haven't it, seen oh, it. Oh, man, that's a really good movie. You should go back and check that one out. Uh, it's really good. Um, it's the first one since Birdman that swept three key uh, precursors, which SAG, DGA, and PGA. That's directors, producers, and, and actors. So it seems... Like, it's set in stone. But what also makes this unique is that it wasn't the only movie to win a Best Picture prize. Now, that is kind of rare because even though every year it comes down to two movies, usually when we get to the Globes and even the Critics' Choice, we kind of already know how it's going to, like, turn out. But there are a lot of questions. So with Best Picture, you know, Fablemans, Banshees of Inisherin, and All Quiet on the Western Front, or other movies that were able to claim Best Picture prizes at other award shows. Um, as far as directing is concerned, I think the... Oh, yeah. Edward Berger, who directed All Quiet on the Western Front, collected the prize at the British Oscars. That's the BAFTAs. And Steven Spielberg uh, won for uh, the Globes. Um, the one where it gets really interesting, and that one, I think it may, may be the closest one, is who the hell is winning Best Actor? Because half of the... I, I think as far as, like... It's funny. When before the the televised shows started, David, it was uh just the critics groups from all over the country, and the one that had the most wins was Colin Farrell for Benches of Vinnie Sharon*. And Colin Farrell did collect one televised prize, which was Golden Globes for a comedy or a musical. Um, but the rest of them have gone to either Fraser or for Butler. Uh, Butler has BAFTA and Globe, and Fraser has Critics Choice and Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> so it's mm. like who the hell is winning this um i think it's a it's a close race 
um, you would think that the best picture nominee, which was Elvis, would have the upper hand because um, it got a lot of no- – Elvis got eight nominations. Whale got like two or three. So you'd think mm-hmm. by just doing that math, Butler would have a bit of an advantage. But I don't know. I don't know. Fraser's really kind of irresistible up on that stage. And also, it's mm-hmm. the kind of – you have to understand that this this game is the kind of game where these speeches really matter. And if you're saying the right things, if you're striking the right tone, it's going to end up good for you. Another close race, who is it going to be? Kate or Michelle for Best Actress? <laughs> That's another one. I was like, flip a coin and see what happens. Because Kate has more wins than than Michelle. But Michelle doesn't have some insignificant you know, wins as well. She won the Globe. She won... Um, she just won the Indie Spirit, I believe, today as we're recording, and she also won the Screen Actors Guild. So it's 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 interesting, and I'm I'm hopeful that because the movie itself right now feels like a runaway train, it's gonna carry Michelle because, and it's one of the things that I've been kind of dreading all year. If we get to a point where that movie wins so many big awards. But Michelle doesn't win Best Actress. That just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. It feels wrong because she's the star of the movie. Um, and, of course, her whole story and everything. And there's also even open races with supporting actress. We don't know if it's going to be Carrie Condon from Banshees or Jamie Lee from Everything Everywhere or Angela Bassett from Black Panther. It's kind of a three-way race. Uh, the only one that's pretty sewn up has been supporting actor. Um, but you know what? I was happy to see, like, for example... Carrie Condon from Banshees, she plays Shabon. She won Best Supporting Actress at the BAFTAs, as did Barry Keoghan. Very happy for him, winning, I think, his first major award in the industry uh, for Banshees of Inish Sharon. Um, and then, of course, there have been like special um, awards, for example. I've loved every anytime Michelle, you know, won. And I think for me, oh, I loved seeing Jamie Lee Curtis win for the first time, I think, ever in her career, anything, uh, for everything, everywhere at the SAG Awards. And I, I, I have to, did you see some of the clips I sent over? Like that moment um, last week when the SAG Awards happened and the film, Everything Everywhere, won Best Ensemble Cast. I was so grateful mm-hmm. of that cast that they were so kind and generous to make that moment less about themselves and more about the moment that is James Hong. The yeah. idea that it took 69 years for him to get up to that stage, to receive, that's the highest recognition that man has received in his entire career. James Hong, for those that are not aware, maybe I think easily has more movie credits under his belt than no other actor (laughs) any other actor in history um and by the way he just turned 94 years old (laughs) 94 (laughs) it's impressive and that was an amazing moment and i just loved him and again he's he's also you think most 94 year olds could barely even like i don't know live but like he's so sharp too and to see him mm. give that speech and also like remark on the moment that when he first started his career those horrible stereotypes that didn't give asian americans or asian actors any opportunities and then the crowning moment when it's like well 
they, you know, they didn't believe in us. They said that we weren't good enough. We weren't box office. But look at us now, huh? And of course, mm. that was the the moment of the night. So so happy. And you know what? He's somebody that um, I have felt should have been in the conversation more because look, I love Judd Hirsch and the Fablemans, and he did get an Oscar nomination. But if we're going to talk about Judd Hirsch in the conversation, we should have discussed J- James Hong as well. Because James Hong has an amazing... I think he gave one of his better performances of his entire career in Everything Everywhere All at Once. That film mm-hmm. had so much magic going on to it because it was just really something special. So it was ha- I was so happy to see that moment. And then, of course, um, I believe it was in Berlin... Uh, you saw some of the clips that I sent over that Steven got his, uh, he got a lifetime achievement award and he gave what a, an amazing speech. And I'm kind of surprised that it's not getting more play. Um, even though I have seen universal, they're turning up the campaign. I don't know if they, if they sense an opening, but I have noticed that he's been on TV. He was on Colbert. He had a whole interview on NBC nighttime. And then also he and John Williams had an interview, I think, on, with Colbert or with Lester Holt. So I don't know if they sense an opportunity that they're ramping up the campaign. A whole bunch of campaigns are ramping up right now um, because Oscar voting actually started on Friday of this past weekend. Mm. So that's why all of these things are happening. But he gave an amazing speech. And he, as you said in your comments, David, he is just one of those people that you just could listen to for hours, talk about, <laughs> you know, movies or his life. And that that was no exception. I love how he talked about time and the idea that his whole life feels like it just happened yesterday. And of course, that he's not done, um, that he wants to just keep doing movies until he drops dead, basically, on the movie set. Um, and then something that was really interesting, because at the moment, and he's he had a press conference where he kind of admitted that at this moment, he has no project that he's doing next for him to personally direct beside the bradley cooper gangster remake film of i don't know what the name of it was but that's in that's in development we talked about i think last year sometime but at the he's the kind of guy that he just continuously gets off one project and goes to the next like Mm -hmm. in the span of a year this guy released west side story and fablemans (laughs) like and he did it he has done that so many times Mm-hmm. He, he, they're both great they're <laughs> both amazing back in 2005 you had war of the world with tom cruise and you had munich with um eric bana of all people in 93 well actually i think it was 98 it was um amistad which had anthony hopkins and jimon hansu and then it was also saving private ryan and then in 93 it was jurassic park and it was schindler's list which <laughs> what an amazing one-two punch that one <laughs> This guy has made it a a career. Uh, he has he had an amazing career, and I was so happy to see him um, get that moment. And one of the things he mentioned, though, that was quite curious, was him saying that he has to get back into some of those earlier, scarier films because his first few films did have a a twinge of horror to it with Jaws. And I don't know if you ever saw a Duel. Um, you need to see that movie because that technically he treats that one as his first film. It was not a theatrical release. It was a TV movie, but that was a TV movie that was so good. It launched him <laughs> into going into films. Hmm. So, and yeah. And so I'm really curious to see what he does next, but um, I'm very help- thankful for uh, the groups out there that decided to, you know, bestow him with these prizes um, even if he might not end up being successful in the end, it looks right now like it. 
the movie Everything Everywhere is so like overwhelming. Everything every everything <laughs> is so overwhelming. Everything right now that it seems like the Daniels will collect their prize for best director. Which I mean, who's gonna complain about that? They directed the hell out of that movie. But it, if they end up winning, like that's like a David and Goliath story. Like seriously, like these guys spent like I think almost seven years, if I'm not mistaken, working on this film. And at no wow. point was it ever in in their minds that. Or I don't think anybody working on this movie ever thought for a second it would get huge awards play. But here they are, and this is their moment. And this is I like the little engine that could basically going all of the way and claiming picture, director, maybe even supporting actor and editing and screenplay and fingers crossed actress. If it does all of that, which is highly unlikely because I think the most amount of wins in the modern era it tops out at four or it maxes out at four. Parasite got four, I think, Oscars with directing, picture, screenplay, and then international film. So it's rare for any one movie in the modern era because we're not in the time anymore where it was. I think it was the last Lord of the Rings movie that won 10 Oscars. It won all 10 of its Oscar nominations. Of course, the rules have changed. It was a long time ago. So mm-hmm. it's kind of tough for any one movie to like get that kind of... um ovation of that many awards in one night but we who knows who knows i the movie is in striking distance in my view of winning so you have picture director screenplay editing supporting actor act six (sighs) that's wow and these are not six as in like um below the line like a dune or a mad max like the like the tech awards these are like the the acting and writing and directing like that's big for any movie to do that so um i actually am planning to rewatch the film I, i've been needing to, to rewatch it um before the oscars i've been actually be watching a lot of movies as a matter of fact to get ready for the oscars like i watched yesterday well this whole weekend um i needed to re acquaint myself with creed because i did watch the original creed movie and i liked it a lot so many years ago when it came out and i did buy it on blu-ray but i had not seen it um at all since then Mm -hmm. and so um timing kind of worked against me so what i ended up doing was i watched (laughs) before i ended up rewatching creed i watched creed 3 in theaters and then i came back home and then i rewatched creed which oh my god i can't wait to talk about that and then this morning, this morning, I actually rewatched Creed again, but through Heroes Reforged reaction video. Um, and yeah. then I just watched Creed 2 um, just before coming on to this. So I just and I had not seen Creed 2. So that was my first time watching that one. So, again, I was just like trying to like cram all and in between, by the way, all of that, because um, I think um, one of the f- people I follow on Twitter, uh, Kevin, who's close to all this and ha- I think has great insight, um, he recommended a great double feature, which was uh, Creed, the first Creed, and then Top Gun Maverick. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> that was a great, that was a great ass double feature. And they have some things in common, obviously. Um, but I, yeah, this, that was my first time watching, rewatching Top Gun Maverick since I think the theater. And mm. that movie is so, so good. Yeah. It is so, so good, David. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, as far as like what I've been doing, well, I've been buying some Blu-rays. I've I uh, I got Fablemans on 4K. I just got my 4K of Nope. Which have you mm. seen that one yet? You gotta see that one. It, <laughs> oh. You need to see that movie. You need I to know. see that movie. It's on our Vudu. It's on, on movies anywhere. Like that's one of the best of the year for sure. 
Um, I mentioned, I don't know if it, I, if it was to Alexis, I, I got the original Superman film uh, on 4K. Nice. Yeah, that it's a great one too. I also, I, Puss in Boots uh, just hmm. came out and I love that movie. It's such a good movie. <laughs> that surprisingly, sure. that, that cat, Puss in Boots. Um, so yeah, I've just, uh, it's been a good time for movies, I want to say. So, you know, and of course with the new ones that are coming out, it, it looks like it's going to be another great year in film. Um, so yeah, uh, let me see here. Shall we talk about, uh, quantum mania then? Yeah. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Okay. Um, I enjoyed it <laughs> uh, yeah i mentioned it in the group chat it's like I, I put it in the same vein as multiverse of madness but this one has like a lot a lot more things worse <laughs> um, it's definitely um it doesn't have any of the creativity multiverse of madness had right mm-hmm. it, it, especially in the shots and in uh as far as like what was on display on you know on camera right like that movie, I, I joke about it all the time, but it really is like, if you give me a score-only version of Multiverse of Madness, I'll be good. <laughs> I mm. can just skip to the parts that I liked. Yeah. I don't even the dialogue. Just, yeah, the emotional moments doesn't land as much. I still love that scene in Multiverse of Madness when um, he, like, lets go, I guess, of uh, Christine. Yeah. Remember? Oh, yeah. Like, that part was... It's, it's really, really good. Um, You don't really get that kind of emotional. But there is one with... Uh, Scott and uh, Cassie, but it just it, it didn't build up to it right or anything. Like no, that. not at all. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I still have fun with the Paul Rudd. He's still so much fun to watch. Like he's the best thing in whatever movie he's in, Marvel movie he's in. <laughs> um. But everyone, honestly, everyone else though, it's just their character. There wasn't much to them, especially with fucking um, hope. Oh my gosh, there's <laughs> there's just nothing, <laughs> right? Hmm. Uh, what was like my biggest? Oh, oh um, Jonathan Majors. Uh, him. Um, he he was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit of different performance. Uh, from Loki and all. Hmm. <clears throat> Well, they're trying. Uh, I guess what that character is, they're trying to make him different because there's different versions of Kang, mm-hmm. and that might come off like a defense. It's not. I I feel like mm-hmm. um, I feel like the more removed I am from the movie, because it's not really a movie, David. It's like it's <laughs> it's kind of a commercial because you know the more removed I am from having seen it, the more I question why it even exists. Aside from the obvious, duh. Because we need to, I guess, promote Kang. But like, okay, mm-hmm. that didn't really do it. And for for me, the performance is not landing because the writing isn't there. Because it just seems a bit haphazard. I don't know what it is they think they're doing in the delivery of this character. But for whatever reason, it's just not landing. It didn't work for me in Loki. It didn't work for me here. And that's not good. And you're also not mm-hmm. selling me on the idea that this is your next Thanos when he gets beaten in an Ant-Man movie. Someone really should have thought that over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, yeah, there's, I mean, I can point out like a whole bunch of problems with them, just the character Kang. Um, just, I mean, for one thing, it's just too soon. <laughs> <You're> right? 
it's just it's way too soon and i mean i thought about it too it's like okay what are the chances that kang is the villain for like a whole bunch of other marvel movies you know Mm. like okay okay here's what i think they should have done basically is like for one thing the whole uh, all the characters their character arcs it was lame um them i i really thought they could have for one thing they should the how they separated them i think it should have been scott and um who's the no cassie grandpa oh no uh hank hank yes it should have been scott and hank and then the rest of the women in separate groups because i really think you could have had great uh, emotional moments between the two especially when uh hank he like for some reason is willing to trust cassie with the suit even though he was very very protective of it when he <laughs> he let uh scott use it use it and all you could have had some kind of connection between the two where it's like why did you give her the suit it's just like eh, i don't know i you got a teenage daughter i could probably have like a second chance with her i don't know uh and then you could then you could have one with the women uh, Hope is trying to connect with their mom, but the mom's not telling her much about their past. Um, when she finally opens up, then that's when Cassie opens up about her past in the five years that everyone was gone. So, like, you... there It could have been a whole different dynamic and all that. Um, I forgot where else I was going to go with this. <laughs> um, I would say also, and I have to ask your thoughts on this, too. You know, I have... There's an interesting moment right now because I feel... The people that for a long time, the people in the media that cover both Marvel and Star Wars, it's starting to feel, David, like they're having a little bit of an uh, aha moment when it comes to Marvel, when it comes to Star Wars, (laughs) because particularly in the coverage of what I've seen, which is, you know, from the Grace Randolphs and John Campias of the world, they're beginning to question was the decision for this next quote-unquote saga of the MCU to be about the multiverse a mistake? And I'm thinking maybe it really was too soon to immediately jump into multiversal stuff when you also had other things it could pull from. Because uh, whatever happened to the whole... um, Secret Invasion is supposed to be a pretty big deal in the... Well, it it is in the Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. And I think most people, like Peter and Alexis, have both expressed this view, which is they should have just done Avengers Secret Invasion. Why is it that they just make it into a Nick Fury show on Disney Plus? And is that really it? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay. Well, I mean, the thing, though, is that they already kind of screwed up on that because of uh captain marvel (laughs) right like they made the scrolls good guys in this and so i don't but like well i mean okay you can always i think what they're doing with secret invasion the show from what i've heard is what basically doctor who did back in their ninth season they had an amazing two-part i think it was called the zygon invasion and the zygon inversion which featured one of the most amazing monologues ever given on anywhere from the doctor himself peter capaldi Mm-hmm. And not for nothing, that was also an amazing two-parter. I think one of the better two-parters of the of the whole Doctor Who run. But what happened in that situation is the Zygons at large didn't orchestrate a rebellion. It was a 
like a, a smaller cell of rebel uh, Zygons mm. that did that. And I think that's what they're doing with um, Emilia Clark's character. Now, there were a lot of theories out there. I don't know what the hell they're doing with it. Grace Randolph apparently says that all the theories are true, which I don't know what that means. It's strange. <laughs> all of them. Mm-hmm. How can all of them be true? I don't know. Um, but I'm curious, if anything, to see how what, what they end up doing with it. I would love for for us to live in a world where it comes out and we're like really excited and surprised. And you know what? It's happened before. I don't think anybody else, any of us foresaw the juggernaut that Andor would become. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, you know, with the <laughs> with the problems that have happened with the MCU and how in the last month there's been a turn in how the press is treating the MCU. Something quite shocking and I think at one point unthinkable occurred in the last week, which was the third season of Mandalorian debuted on Disney Plus. And no one cared. Yeah. No one cared. And it wasn't even trending. No one was talking about it. And even worse than that, even worse than that, as far as like how it was received in the press, the conversation wasn't about the episode itself or, and I honestly, I haven't seen it, but based on how the conversation has materialized, it suggests there's not anything they're worthy of discussing because no one's talking about what happened in the episode and everyone's mm-hmm. talking about like why no one's caring right now. And even worse than that, if you saw like the long list of article and headlines I sent to you yesterday, the conversation has shifted from, man, did Andor ruin the Mandalorian for us? Which is so funny to me because like, dude, we've been on this train for years. I mean, not Andor. Andor is relatively new. But we've been saying for years now, you guys have like some kind of like rose colored goggles on when it comes to like talking about Mando because Mandalorian is among the most mediocre and badly written television shows I've ever seen. All of us on this network here at Red Spotlight share this view and seemingly nobody else did. But now when you have to go, when you have Andor that exists now to compare how good Star Wars can be. And going back to John Favreau's style of writing, I mean, I didn't think it was possible because of how cultish and slavish a lot of people's feelings toward the John Favreau written stuff was. Like, remember, it wasn't even just a year ago. You know, Boba Fett wasn't a hit. It's not. It wasn't hitting with them. But what did hit with them was the Mando elements in Boba Fett. Jesus Christ, when that episode came out, like. The, God, it was, it was slavish. It really was a lot of the comments that were being said about it. But now that we're here, I am beginning to wonder what happened here. Like, even I'm like questioning, where did the audience go? Was it a matter of like, they didn't promote the show enough that no one know it was on? Did no one care anymore? Was it maybe they shot themselves in the foot, which is for fans of the show, there was a sense of satisfaction, maybe even finality in the season two uh, closer where, you know, Grogu and Jaren parted ways. Mm-hmm. And perhaps for some of the audience, that was good enough for them. And maybe they don't feel they need to go back. 
Or maybe they were confused as hell that the the trailers showed them back together <laughs> when the last episode like split them up in the first place. So I'm I'm kind of curious what your feelings are as to like what's happening and what happened that Mando just didn't get any attention. Um, I mean, for one thing, we've been getting some like pretty great shows after Boa Fett, you know, because we got the well, Last of Us currently well, for, still running. Let's not let's not ignore Peacemaker, which ran at the same time as Boba Fett. Mm, Peacemaker came okay. out. Then after that was Stranger Things. After that, well, you could I guess you can count Miss Marvel the first three episodes, and then of course it went to hell. And then mm. we had shows like House of the Dragon. Oh, and before that we had Stranger Things, and then we also had Andor. And currently, right now is The Last of Us. There've been a lot of these kind of genre shows that have been captivating audiences' attentions, mm-hmm. and especially because you have The Last of Us with Pedro Pascal, and he is like killing it with mm-hmm. the acting right and some people are kind of like i don't want to i, I want to see his face <laughs> you know <laughs> and so i uh i think they kind of and for sure Andor, i think is like you know that's probably right now like peak star wars uh disney plus Dude, Andor was so amazing mm-hmm. can you believe how good that show was i know i don't know if we gave enough justice to Andor when it was running i mean we covered it for sure but we we gave it a twice as much praise and everyone and everyone else because <laughs> everyone else is like not really we, talking about it as much. But know. you know why they weren't talking about it because they weren't watching it, which is so mm-hmm. crazy that now we're in a moment where the the show is being pitted up in the media against Mando, and they're kind of declaring Andor the victor. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm also glad about that because you, uh, I was you know because people because people weren't talking about Andor as much. You know we. we we kind of thought, oh man, the studios got to look at this, and they're probably not going to make another show like like Andor this. Where, yeah, but now it, it people are kind of like, no, let's go back to Andor, <laughs> you know. And so hopefully the studios can kind of go either just rewrite Mandalorian. I don't care if the fourth season is just like a reboot of some sorts, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, you know, hopefully all that talk is going to get them thinking of trying to make different kinds of Star Wars shows. One that has nothing to do right. with lightsabers. <laughs> but the thing is, David, I think like, let's not get it twisted. There is no reason why a show centered on Mandalorians can't have the same political intrigue that Andor has. And sure. how do we know this? Like just today, I was actually watching the normies reaction to some old Clone Wars episodes. Now I'm not, I know your history of the show isn't as storied mm-hmm. as mine. So I, uh, these episodes were uh, about our first introduction to anything Mandalore. These are the episodes where Obi-Wan goes to Mandalore. We see Mandalore and then we get introduced to Duchess Satine. Uh, and then the, and then they also go on this like, on this spaceship and then there's like spider robots that attack and then more so it's about the revelation that obi-wan and duchess Satine were in are in love and at one point he would have left everything for her um but what was in the background the whole time was mandalore's society was going through a change at that point which was duchess Satine. let's you know what let's move past our angry ways of settling everything with violence and let's become more peaceful a subsect of the society 
the true quote unquote Mandalorians were like, fuck you. We're declaring war on you. How dare you destroy our heritage? Even who cares if it's based on hate? How dare you attack our heritage? They called themselves Death Watch. They were a terrorist group. Now, that in- inherently has so much like politics involved in that. And thinking about a show called Mandalorian post-Episode 6, after the planet had been devastated, um, you'd think that there's plenty of interesting conversations that would be had about Mandalorian culture and whether or not it is even worthy of a cause anymore. Bo-Katan on paper, you would think would be a really interesting character. She's been fighting her whole life and constantly losing. What is there even a fight for anymore? If there's no more home planet, if it was devastated completely, she's been at this for 30 years. You'd think there'd been, there'd be so much interesting material to work with there. But the problem is, Tony Gilroy ain't writing this shit. The problem, mm. who, the, the one who is writing it is John Favreau. And he fundamentally isn't, isn't interested in that kind of Star Wars. He's very much like, to me, I think of a John Favreau as all the things people think Steven Spielberg is, which is a slave to sentimentality, a slave to nostalgia. And John Favreau is incapable of moving beyond that. And so when we see that he's written every episode this season, I don't know what people think is going to happen. And you know what's also making it worse? Is very clearly, it's... They're kind of telling on themselves on these interviews for the uh, their premiere. They don't have a direction, mm. it seems like. And if they do... They've made the decision to kind of like stretch it out and kind of like going further into, I don't know if they want more seasons, but like it, like what was really confusing, uh, this is, this is, I think a great example of like why John Favreau isn't the right person to be involved in this. Look at the mess that was made with his comments about the quote unquote real time that elapsed <laughs> between Mando and Boba Fett. Because did you follow what he said there? <laughs> I I guess what he meant is like the time gap in our world of a like Are you sure that's what he meant? Because I I've seen some people come to his defense that he was talking about no, in our world, the time that passed with Mando and Boba as shows airing on Disney Plus I didn't get that impression in his comments. I think he was legit talking about the time because he said, if I'm not mistaken, that Grogu spent two years with Luke. Mm -hmm. Which, if that's true, none of that makes any sense if you just watch the shows. Yeah. I mean, either way, though, like, what's the point of that kind of comment, though? Like, I don't know what that adds. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of like... You know, it's kind of. That's know. not. It's, the, it's kind of like um. It's a uh, at the end. What was it? You know that uh, post credit scene where Thanos grabs the gauntlet. And he's like, "Fine, I'll do it myself." Yeah. And they somehow say, "Like, oh, it's only been six months." Like, there's no that, point there's in those conversations. There's, there's, months. you don't, you can't win with that. And also, you don't mm-hmm. even have to go into another franchise. Like, one of the ones that I saw people bringing up is. Um, cause there's, there's always, there's been like a decades long debate about how much time did Luke actually train with Yoda in Empire Strikes Back? 
there's a perfect how how long did it take for Han and Leia on the Falcon after they escaped um the Empire to reach Bespin? So with no hyperdrive, mind you. So mm. again, like there I guess the answers to these questions at some point could be interesting, but they don't matter. Mm-hmm. They don't really need to be on there. So I think you're right when you're saying basically like it's on Favreau. He shouldn't have like put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> at all. And also it's like, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I just feel like as from a, as far as from a character standpoint, this show has always been so weak. I personally don't care at all, but it's funny how, Basically, from what I read, I don't know if you saw it. I think you would have told me if you... Did you see it? Um, Season three, episode one. Oh, no. Okay. From what I read, it was just an ordinary episode of The Mandalorian. It was just completely interchangeable, which was like fetch quests. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting the impression people are kind of getting tired of that. And if that's the case, I'm here for it. We've been screaming into the ether for years um and if there is finally a turning point i'm glad to see it uh happen and i I wonder uh what the future would be um Mm -hmm. but yeah i it's a curious time that we're living in that um a lot of like faithful and loyal audiences are beginning to question um the the quality of the stories they've been handed. And you know what? I think that's good. I think it's about time that's happened. And maybe sure. it'll make both Marvel and, and, and the Star Wars teams realize they need to be doing more. They got to get their shit together. They mm-hmm. really do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Is there anything else you wanted to add to this discussion? Uh oh! I, I never mentioned Modok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that has to win some kind of award for worst writing I've ever seen. Now, granted, oh, it's pretty yeah. it's pretty hard to top John Favreau's level of writing on Mandalorian. But mm. you know what? If anybody can do it, it's Peyton Reed. And what did he? Or I guess Jeff Loveness, who wrote the screenplay here. But and I guess it was his writing, right? <sighs> that line of like. I don't know how it went, but try not to be a dick. Mm. And then that whole moment of his death scene. And the, to me, I think without question, not only is that the most embarrassing moment I've seen in all of the MCU, but I think it's up there. And I think maybe even more embarrassing than some of the Inhumans, the TV Inhuman stuff that we saw as Marvel. That was, that was embarrassing. That was pathetic. That was hilarious because, but it, you know why it was hilarious? Because it was cringe. I was like, ooh, in the theater watching that moment. I was like, oh. Dude, I'm smiling it's like this, this entire time. Just, it's so funny. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I can honestly rewatch that movie just because of Bodoc. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, if it's the bad writing or maybe even the acting like honestly like i could honestly say like the acting wasn't bad for him it's mm. just like he really was trying 
it's just I, I find it so hilarious it's it's yeah. weird though yeah it's hilarious because it is weird and it's also is pretty random like out of nowhere they tried pulling a redemption arc out of their ass without actually you know and, of, and this is part for the course putting in the work into doing it which mm-hmm. made it stick out even more so but it was like yeah also this is just a pet peeve of mine they are really in anything mcu they're overusing the word avenger okay Mm -hmm. i think that word's kind of been overdone a little bit it's like if um if this is dc it's as if modok was saying then i am a justice leaguer (laughs) oh okay I don't know what that means. Also, why would he care to be an Avenger? <laughs> it's just it's so stupid. Um, I'm glad I get to die an Avenger. He's like, what oh, the yeah, sure. fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. I, I'm, you know what? I'm glad it worked for you. It it didn't work for me. Like, I guess I know how Peter feels when I talk about Cruella. Because Cruella so worked on me. Like, it's so <laughs> stupid, but I love Cruella. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter fucking hates it. Um, it's it's so dumb. Anyway, shall we get on to the Creed stuff? Yeah. So listen, this film has kind of been anticipated for a while now. There has been some drama. I don't know if there's even any point in going into it as far as like disagreements that happened from what i understand one of the producers on this movie has some beef with stallone and that's kind of what fueled the decision for him to not i mean he's still a producer on the movie his name was in the credits but he's not in the movie itself mm-hmm. and then i feel like i think he also this past week gave an interview that suggested he personally didn't like the direction that they took with the third film and going in and what he said was a dark place. He called himself more of a sentimentalist and that he just didn't feel like the film itself needed to delve into what it did. Cause he feels there's already too much like darkness in the world. And you know what? Look, he's free to do what he wants. If he felt like he, if this wasn't something that he wanted to be on board with, that's his decision, right? He doesn't need to mm-hmm. be, uh, and the movie doesn't want to be. Um, I, at least I, I, I think the impression remains though that there is going to be a fourth film and that they are going to try and get him back for it. I don't know how that's going to work, but hmm. that's just some stuff that happened behind the scenes. And as far as like, uh, this is the third director uh, for this third film, and it ends up being Michael B. Jordan. So there's a lot of like really interesting stuff that happened behind the scenes of this movie. But before we get to any of this, I just feel like we need to like just uh talk about you know give some background on how this series has been like so far um and you know it's kind of incredible when you think about like this is a spin-off series to mm-hmm. a long-standing um franchise which is rocky and when it came out i don't think really anybody had any faith in in creed now i haven't seen all the rocky movies um Mm -hmm. not that i can remember but everybody talks about them as like they're all different levels of enjoyable but not one of them ever topped the first one 
Which, you know what, isn't that surprising. A lot of franchises have that same situation, right? Mm. But when Creed came out, it kind of completely changed the, the script. And I think a lot of people came away with it saying, oh my God, did I just watch the best Rocky movie ever? <laughs> like, that's the reaction that it accompanied. And then it did get some awards play. Sylvester Stallone collected, I believe, a Critics' Choice, and he won a Golden Globe for his performance, and rightfully so. But evidently, the Academy didn't agree with that, and so they didn't award him with it, which I think, too, is still one of the most um, painful snubs um, in recent memory, for sure. For sure. But at the same time, I really do feel... um, I, I rewatched this just the, as I mentioned, for the first time in, in so many years. If we're going to go back and look at it, in so many ways, it probably deserved a lot more nominations in writing, directing, acting, and as far as picture is concerned. Mm-hmm. And maybe it just took time. Because I, 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 I liked the movie when I first saw it, but it just didn't, like I guess, get me going the same way some other ones did that year. But having reevaluated, well, you know, having also grown, I'm a much different person as far as like what I look for in stories than I was back in 2015. But watching this again, holy shit. <laughs> just holy shit. Mm-hmm. This movie is incredible this yeah. movie is on a level i don't think they'll ever kind of get there again because i'm saying everything the pacing the story the characterization the editing the fight sequences the, the direction oh my gosh there was like one i think fight sequence that was just all one shot yeah um the music by Ludwig Göransson, it's legendary, mm-hmm. legendary. And I was getting this, like, I was surprising myself with the number of times I was getting caught up in it and the emotion it was making me feel. And I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. How did this mm-hmm. not, how did this not win best picture? Honestly, <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, cause like, look, it, it has to do two things at once, right? It has to, this is ultimately about Adonis Creed and you have to like him and you have to root for him. And he also has to share the space with fucking Rocky Balboa. And you also mm-hmm. have to do that character justice and the relationship between those two in the film and I, I have to say, I feel is one of the better dynamics of a mentor-teacher relationship maybe ever put to camera. Mm-hmm. Honestly, David, I'm actually quite surprised. Like, you know, the years, it's been seven or eight years since 2015. Maybe, yeah. There were a lot of great movies that came out that year. Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, Steve Jobs, Inside Out, Spotlight, Bridge of Spies, The Force Awakens, Ex Machina, Straight Outta Compton. Um, 
a lot of wonderful films that came out that year and were deserving of prizes. Really, fuck. it was right. All f- <laughs> you're listing them off. I'm like, oh, like, fuck, yeah, that's, yeah. That's Revenant also came out that year. Uh, Brooklyn, other lesser films, but yeah, there's a lot of great movies that came out that year. But thinking about it more and more, so just this past 24 hours, I've just been really captivated by this franchise and by this movie, and just mm-hmm. kind of shocked to my very core. And I think it just like. This is ha- this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Creed yeah. is sensational, and it just gets you. It stirs you up in a way that um, I don't know if this qualifies into the sports movie genre. I guess it does. I don't know if I look at it that way. It's it's just an amazing drama. It yeah. really is. You know, I, I I just going back to this and Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. What a fucking star. I think this is Kugler's. This is my favorite Kugler film, um, yeah, easily. Um, and I hope he gets back to more dramas. Uh, and not that Wakanda Forever and Black Panther, I guess, weren't quote unquote dra- dramatic movies. But I just, feel, I hope he gets back to more stuff like this mm-hmm. um, instead of like being in the Marvel stuff the whole time. I have no doubt he'll do Black Panther three whenever that happens. But I just feel like I, I want him to do more than just Black Panther. Because when you look at how Creed is, it's like, whoa. Well, anyway, I want to get your thoughts on this movie and, uh, and your relationship with it throughout the many years. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the Rocky movies, um, I started seeing some videos of people, you know, talking about Creed 3 and they're talking about the Rocky movies. And the more they keep bringing up, like, I think this happened in this movie or, or you know, like they're trying to remember stuff of the stuff of the Rocky movies. And I was kind of like, no, this happened in this movie. Like, I've started to remember a lot more of these movies. I haven't, like, rewatched a lot of them. Mm-hmm. The only ones I've, like, rewatched the most was Rocky Four, which is the the Drago one. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of surprised. Like, oh, okay, I do remember a lot of this of these movies. Like, really almost everything. Um, and so I guess that's why it was Creed was such, like, an emotional impact. Because I know the Rocky character. Like, I know what he's been through. I know just how much of like he's cared about those all all the people around him and all that, and so just seeing him being the mentor type and like every single word that he says, like you know what's behind it, you know, like that one scene where he puts uh, Apo- uh no not Paul Adonis Adonis uh, in front of the mirror and he's like, "This is your toughest opponent." I believe that in the ring, and I believe that in the in life. Dude, you know, what just happened just like, right now? I was thinking of the exact same thing. I was about to bring that up. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the one I was thinking about right now. Mm-hmm. But there's also like little ones where like uh, Adonis sees doing like a little sparring match, and he kind of like gets angry, starts beating up the guy, and he says something like, uh, "Rocky says something like, you know, you you keep moving your mouth. You know, the more you move your mouth, the more you don't think. Okay, it's like, <laughs> and so it's just it's like all these little moments. It's like, yeah, he kind of <laughs> he does that kind of stuff a lot and I mean really what helped with the Cree movie not just uh uh Michael B. Jordan like his acting his character and all that but he really did get the Rocky character right I don't know if it was because of Kugler or maybe uh Stallone came in and was just like no this is what I would say or something I don't know Kugler but, uh, actually is a big fan from what I heard he was a big fan of the series so he I'm sure was very familiar with who that character was yeah no people said like the Creed movie is like a fanfic you know it's like how do you make a sequel to the Rocky movies it's right like, it's Creed a legacy a sequel as a matter mm-hmm. of fact you know and it's also I think I don't know if I shared the tweet yesterday but it is in that same 
spirit of legacy sequels. If you're not aware of like what that is, for those of you listening, um, it's basically the revival of a franchise, um, but it's very much um, about like, I guess in a way the franchise, but it's, you know, inherent, it's a little bit of the greatest hits, but it also has a special set of substance in there that, you know, I think really um, makes it worth existing. Like to me, uh, I think what I remember, like think of Blade Runner 2049, right? Mm -hmm. Think of, well, this movie, think of Top Gun Maverick. Think of um, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, maybe more so Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. Because I think a lot of people would think like Force Awakens represents the bad kind of um, legacy sequel. I don't think the, I don't think Force Awakens is bad. I think it's a really great film, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think it has some shortcomings about like what I would want Star Wars to be for sure, but I think it captured all the things that needed to be. The problem was the industry, as always, they took the wrong lessons from that movie. Mm -hmm. And so they went on to make other kind of films that were kind of just copycats. Like, I guess No Way Home in a way would, would, would be like this, even though like, it's not a bad movie, No Way Home, Mm -hmm. but it just didn't capture I guess my imagination for more than a single weekend. I haven't thought about that movie. Yeah. After that, you know, mm-hmm. and but then again, you have films like this that just like again, like if you want, like it is a great double feature, Creed and Top Gun Maverick. That was an amazing <laughs> double feature, and they're kind of the same movie <laughs> in a way. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh. But yeah, no, I've said this too before. Uh, Creed is like one of my favorite movies of all time, and people are always so surprised <laughs> when I say that. They're like, "Really? That movie?" And it's like, "Go back it. and watch it. Go back. And Go watch back it. and watch it." Like, yeah, maybe it's just like some people were like, "It's been maybe it's been a while, and it has yeah. been a while since 2015." You know, a lot mm-hmm. of things have happened since 2015, but like, go back and watch it. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch it. And some people, I, I don't know. I never like being asked. What's one of your favorite movies? Because I feel my brain wants to explode. But why? Mm. Why would you ask this of me? <laughs> like I like all of. I like a lot of them. You know, not all. I like a lot of them. Um. Yeah, but sometimes you, you do get like really that one. Like mm-hmm. go back and watch it, you piece of shit. Like what are you talking <laughs> about? Really that one? Go back and watch it. I mean, I creates a classic. I think in many ways it is like um, it is this generation's Rocky. And it was so successful. Here we are, like three movies later, Creed yeah. one, two, and three. Um, but yeah, it, it really, in retrospect, some people really fumbled the ball as far as like the accolades that should have been like handed over, honestly, for the film. Because like, what, what? This is kind of a miracle that this film exists and it's as good as it is. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like wow. You, you just don't get too many of these. Oftentimes, when you think about projects like this on paper, it's like, I don't know, man. The son of Adonis Creed is going to go into like a father-son kind of relationship, mentor-mentee relationship with Rocky Balboa. And it's like, and then even later on, Drago comes back. Like, this is really on paper. Just like some of the most like fan figgy shit ever. And maybe to an extent, it is. But somehow... With these movies, anyway, they've mm-hmm. been able to kind of 
do it good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's Creed. Um, you, I recall, did see Creed 2 when it came out. What were your thoughts on that movie? Um, that one, I was really excited about it because, like, it's him versus Drago. Like, the, it just it makes sense that you mm-hmm. have to do that, you know? Um, I mean, they, well, they did talk a lot about it in the first movie. I mean, it's it's kind of like they talk about uh, how um how he died anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, here in the sequel, let's get more into that mm-hmm. and what that would mean for um for Donnie basically to like um to do it um in that sense. How mm-hmm. did you make of it? Um, I, it's still a really good movie. It's just the middle part. Um it's kind of like what you expect you know of course he's gonna go up against drago uh spoilers by the way um he loses and so now he's just spoilers <laughs> to who <laughs> it, it, it's been out <laughs> yeah let's not get into it yeah um he loses he recovers and all that and i mean and i like the little things that they added like him um having a baby uh and all that and kind of like that's a little bit of his motivation to like you gotta get back up because he doesn't want to see want his kid to see him like this on his lowest and all that um it just uh i mean i honestly i even to this day i can't explain why it just the first one is just better and it just sounds like i can't the second one cooler <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Kugler. It I, I honestly think it's Kugler. I'll, I'll say this i i enjoyed it i think it's good mm-hmm. um and I want to say that uh, the beats and the story, um, I feel like that on paper, yeah, that's the sequel. Do it. Do it. I don't think there was any issue from um, the writing, actually. I felt like what – and I, I don't mean to, you know, put it all on the on, on Stephen Cable Jr., who was the, the director of Creed 2 here, but I mm-hmm. – because that would suggest that his direction was bad. It wasn't, mm-hmm. especially in comparison to maybe even the Rocky films. I think the problem is he's not Ryan Coogler. That's the problem. Ryan Coogler is a talent. He is one of the the auteur filmmakers of this generation. Mm-hmm. Like he, When you see Ryan Coogler do a film, he's going to put his voice in there. And he's going to... And I think what 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 hurts it is because I I felt it myself is you don't have the same capabilities as a director that Ryan Coogler had, and so what happens with here is you end up ultimately getting less dynamic shots, less memorable moments, less interesting ways to show something we've already seen before. Mm-hmm. You end up getting more of a formulaic approach and feel to it. Whereas those things were in Creed, but the direction was so good. It it didn't feel that way. It felt fresh. Mm -hmm. And I think what also hurts the second one is the pacing. Um, It it took a while to get going. Like, I mean, I don't mind the second chapter of a trilogy going at a slower pace but it it did feel like for the first hour anyway, like we were just kind of like going through the motions. Yeah. You know, and it kind of maybe was taking a bit too much time. Um, and yeah, like, you know, there were moments that happened in the first hour, like, you know, him proposing that, that were sweet and then him going away. And, but 
it, 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 it felt like it was taking up too much time and not enough at the same time. And it was going too through quickly. And yeah, it, it's, it's difficult, right? But, but then we get to the third act and it, you know, it, it's good. It's good. It's still not hitting the highs that the first one did, but it's, it, it's hitting something. And mm-hmm. I mean, somebody was hitting something for sure, but I mean, <laughs> you, you felt the blows for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just story-wise, it did everything right. You know, it did what it needed to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, like, but, but then when you see it and it's like, why didn't that work the way that the first one did for me? And I think mm-hmm. maybe it's just the Ryan Coogler of it all. Because I can't think of any other explanation. Yeah, and especially because, like those moments with uh, Drago, the the Dragos, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, you see that their relationship is like very, very tense between the two. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I do, I love the way the fight ends. Yes, like, yes. so good and surprising. Yes. You know, and like, and, and it does hit kind of emotionally. You know, when you know, and again, uh, it hits the right note too. Yeah, like when Drago sees his mom go away, and like you could tell, like oh, he's just about to give up, like or he's giving up, but he's not going down, you know? Right. And you like they're hitting each other back and forth, and like it's so good. It <laughs> really is, yeah. The dad Drago, he sees it too. It's like fuck, and then he throws a towel, and I'm like fuck, that's amazing. That's a great. Lit- I don't know how I didn't expect it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I I didn't expect expect it, and so it just became a great ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was also a really good ending for uh, for Rocky in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. um, at least one of the shots that I do recall from the movie was you know after Adonis like claims victory, and the whole team is going up there to like celebrate, be photographed, and be interviewed. Rocky just kind of like makes the choice to like stand behind, and then like tell you know tells him like this is your time. Yeah. And in a way, it kind of it felt like the the handing of the baton. Like you know what, you don't need me anymore. You're good. I can just like sit back here. And then of course the camera pulls back. You see on the stage everyone gathering up, but then it's focused on him just having a seat, uh, and then just watching it all from there. That was that was perfect. Honestly, I, really, I <laughs> cried when I rewatched it and I yeah. saw that. But that just the way he says it too. It's like it's your time. Like, yeah. oh my god, it's so it, good. And it hits. Yeah, it hits. Of course, Stallone's great here too. And then. I think it would also hit for uh hit more because that moment's immediately followed up with him finally um reuniting with his family, the family that he has left. Mm-hmm. And him, you know, seeing his son and his grandson and the things that he's like he, he looks just like you look just like his mother, and then just like the how you you see him getting emotional like that. If that's the last time we ever see him on camera, I, that's kind of the perfect way to close out the character. It really so, was. Yeah. I, I said this in my review. It's like, honestly, if this is the last, like, You Rocky did say that. Movie, I remember you saying that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's the perfect ending. Uh, it just, it kind of sucks that, like, there was something in the direction that just, you didn't hit as hard as you probably could have. And that sucks. Right, but... right. Yeah. It brings it down for sure. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, it's just not, it's not great in the way that the first one was but like the in, in i guess like the, it's like one of these sequels there's a it has a lot of good going for it uh but you can still enjoy it it's still a mm-hmm. good sequel it's just not it's, it's worth not watch, as good sure. it's it's just that it's not as good or better than the original one and mm-hmm. and so few are able to do that but when you think back at like all the number of movies that are out there and you think also 
at all the number of bad sequels that exist. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I really do feel like uh, they get too much of a bad rap. And I don't even think Creed 2 got a bad rap. I feel like it's just a universal point of view that it's not as good as the first one. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It's actually still good. And in, in the moments that we just discussed, mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, there, there was a deleted scene where Rocky, um, Rocky, um, Apollo, oh my God, Adonis. Adonis. <laughs> Adonis and Drago talk, but like the son Drago. No, no, I didn't. And it's basically just a conversation of like not letting the sins of the father affect them and all that uh i kind of do they should have kept that in then the reason why is because there were already too many endings because there's the one with Um, rocky and his son and uh adonis in the cemetery and so i know (laughs) i know most people bitch about that i've never had an issue with too many endings i mean again like right like endgame how many endings did endgame have (laughs) (laughs) right Or Return of the King. That's the one that has the most infamous, like, reputation, right? The Return of the King endings. <laughs> Return of the King that actually did feel the endings, like, being too much. But, like... Well, which version? The theatrical or the extended version of it? I haven't seen the extended version of that movie. But I can only imagine how long that is. No, I see. I saw the theatrical one. And so, <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining the extended one is probably, like, a lot more. Um, but I felt it in that one. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I don't mind too many endings. If it's, like important for the story like that conversation with adonis and mm-hmm. drago uh, like my i think one of my favorite endings to anything was the finale to shield and that like half the episode was like nothing but endings everybody got their mm-hmm. happy ending but i thought that was pitch perfect yeah and that's what you want to see anyway uh with characters you love get, get yeah. them have their ending their moment mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so that was Creed 2 and so now let's go ahead and get into this new one which is out in theaters right now which I should also mention by the way um, it all it looks like it's going to have the highest box office opening of any of all the movies and the trajectory as far as how the movies have been performing has been steadily climbing it has already received an A- cinema score uh, which is very good by the way um, anything with an A in front of it for, uh, and by the way, I saw it yesterday. Um, my audience applauded. Mm-hmm. They applauded. They were really into it, even though, Ooh, wait, surprisingly, even though, and I got some things to say, there were some things I wasn't too happy with what was going on in that theater. Oh. I, I don't know. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, I mean, it was, I was able to like tune it out, but it was amazing how many times I kept looking over like, what the fuck are they doing over there? Anyway, so this is Creed 3 directed by Michael B. Jordan. This is the directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan. You can't run from your past. Of course, our description from Letterboxd. After dominating the boxing world, the Donis Creed has been thriving in both his career and family life. When a childhood friend and former boxing prodigy, Damian Anderson, resurfaces after serving a long sentence in prison he is eager to prove that he deserves his shot in the ring the face-off between former friends is more than just a fight to settle the score adonis must put his future on the line to battle damien a fighter who has nothing to lose Hmm. great synopsis um 
this was I was like, you know what? There's a lot you can say. I I I heard one critic, I guess, referred to a lot of the things that he saw in a negative tone as far as like, oh, it was formulaic. I could so see like where it was all going. And I guess if you feel that way, fine. I didn't at all feel that way at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was actually surprising because like, again, yesterday when I sat down and watched this, I had not seen the original Creed in a while. I would actually see it later that night. But um, this was so good. It made me really excited to go back and revisit the older uh, or the, you know, the old movies. I, I have to say, I find there to be very little wrong here. I don't even know what I would say that was quote unquote wrong or that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. I, I actually thought it was really good. Um, and it's like, it almost felt like there wasn't any kind of, I didn't lose anything jumping from, again, I, I'm notorious for seeing things out of order. So keep in mind, I hadn't seen the first Creed in a while and I never saw Creed 2 while going in to see Creed 3. So just jumping from 1 to 3, as you said in your messages, I, I didn't really need much information. You kind of get all of what you need to know. Mm-hmm. In the movie itself, which is, by the way, a Marvel, maybe you should go back to doing that more often, you know, mm-hmm. just like not having to be so dependent on anything else for people not to be lost in your stuff. But um, this was great. Adonis, of course, Michael B. Jordan is always great. And it was interesting to see him, uh, I guess, retire. I was kind mm-hmm. of like surprised. Like, oh, okay, we're going to stop here. It was so funny. I thought anyway. So many of them saying that, oh, you're old. Like, what? I know. It's like, it's... Uh, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, did you, I did even... you not see Rocky Balboa, the, the sixth movie? Did, like, mm-hmm. I think he was like, what, 60? Mm-hmm. He was 60, I think, in that movie. Well, I mean, I don't know if he actually do follow, like, wrestling at all or anything like that. But like, No, but that's... I imagine it's one of the same things, like, how Tom Brady, of all people, is considered old. And that's why he retired and shit. Because, like, I guess when you're after 40 in football, you're an old man. Mm-hmm. in really. every sport is a, I guess it's a different sort of criteria for like what they consider to be young and old right mm-hmm. yeah and it's also just very uh, it's pretty different for uh, wrestling or boxing in this situation right. because like you know you have an uppercomer who's like probably 28 or something like peak physical shape you know and for him to fight like a 38 year old you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like there's going to be a massive difference in their like strength and stamina and all that. And especially because the older person is, they mentioned this in the movie, like he has like a lot of damage to his body and all that. Um, and so, yeah, it is weird them saying that <laughs> Michael B. Jordan is old, <laughs> especially <laughs> since uh Dame is older. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Hey, he's older. Um, I'll say that, I, I'm not sure what expectations I had, but now, like having the whole trilogy in mindset, I would say that what really helps this film is I was much more engaged with the story. I was much more engaged with the rivalry and relationship between Dame and and Don, uh, or Adonis, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was engaging, and I was thrilled. 
uh, enthralled, I should say, in that more so than what was, I guess, I felt myself, I guess, losing attention in the, in the second movie a little bit here and there, but the third one had me the whole way. And what also makes it a big, big difference is the direction. And again, it also gets down to why that is such an important factor in any movie, mm-hmm. but perhaps more so in, in, in movies like these. Because you need a different kind of direction every now and then to kind of like change things up. And I feel like already immediately what has been observed about this film is what sets it apart from any of the other films in this franchise is, I honestly should say, a stroke of brilliance. Um, the decision that, that uh, Jordan took in his directorial debut, no less, to basically say, guys, you know, this show and jump anime, this whole world, they've they've kind of been hitting something here that maybe we should take some inspiration from. Mm-hmm. And boy, you weren't kidding. You were, and then there's one there's one moment in the third well, in the climax, well, in the third act, basically, when when the main event gets underway. There's one moment where uh, it's all Jordan, it's all uh, majors, there's nothing else, mm-hmm. it's all tuned out. And what I thought was so brilliant about it, well, we can get more into it in a bit, but yeah. I, I I'll just say, that alone is worth the price of admission. Yes. <laughs> that alone is so... <laughs> brilliant it sits it sets this movie out apart from all the rest of it but mm-hmm. it also should serve as an inflection point for all the movies that come after this of any franchise that it's in this genre yeah maybe we should kind of look and see what they did here and maybe we should also look into some of the other show and jump animation because um wow mm-hmm. <laughs> wow yeah. So that that I think delivered, and I think it also delivered on the emotional aspects too. Like these characters have grown. I mean, their daughter is like what almost ten now. Mm, I don't like probably, and she's a character in this film. the the fi- the family dynamics. I think what what's also different is that in this movie, when it does take a downbeat, <coughs> and you're just seeing the characters live, it doesn't feel like it's like taking up too much time or it also doesn't feel like it's a drag like it was i guess in creed um two so the rivalry the the perf- oh my jonathan majors <laughs> oh my god he killed it there is one there was one moment where i was like oh you this is so fucking awesome right here I, I, we'll get to it i mean I'm- yeah it i yeah it's i thought this was great your thoughts overall on the movie yeah so i was pretty excited about this i was honestly like a little bit worried for michael b jordan to direct just because i, I don't know um actors. i mean he's never directed before yeah, he's I, never directed. it's perfectly natural to be concerned mm-hmm. and him saying that he put like a lot of anime stuff uh references into this and i was a little bit worried again because i was kind of like ooh, but the anime stuff like you know it's kung fu and all that like i don't know if right work in a boxing environment right fuck did he prove me wrong <laughs> right <laughs> you're so right because like with all the in anime it's it's not necessarily grounded in realism whereas mm. these movies are you know mm. and that's i can understand difference. i can understand people 
because especially in that third act you know you mentioned that one scene i was I, immediately when, when that was happening i was like oh i hope my dad i was watching with my dad uh i hope my dad's like get like tunes out of this because i because the the grip of the rocky movies is that it looks realistic you know it's like a real boxing match you know i still remember watching the first rocky movie and going like are they actually hitting each other like it literally like confuses me you know um i i actually i haven't seen those movies in a long time i've only ever seen snippets here and there of mm -hmm. the older ones but i i actually speaking of i mentioned earlier before that i i uh, saw it was so weird because just today as of the date of this recording, this is um, March fourth. Uh, Heroes Reforged. I don't know if you know their channel. This yeah. is Hector uh, Augustine and and um, Adam Plavak, and I really am loving their movie reactions. Mm -hmm. And them, this is not their first time. This is like their first time watching Creed in a long time. And oh my god, I was just like reliving it with them, having seen it the night before. Mm -hmm. But I believe it was one of them that mentioned that. You know, I never really like bought the the fighting scenes in the old films. It didn't really, it, it didn't seem quote unquote real. And I think he chalked it up to, well, it's just the, you know, movie making has changed mm -hmm. a lot since what, the 70s and 80s. And I think that's kind of what it was. Like it felt a lot more staged than maybe, I I, I, I think that's what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that in the older films, it, it didn't feel as real as these newer ones do. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I was kind of like, oh, I hope this like doesn't take people out of it, you know, dang, that whole thing. Right. Uh, but no, it just, it all fit. It all worked so well together. It didn't feel cheesy or anything. It didn't feel like, oh, they were trying way too hard in this moment. It's like, no, 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 all of these hits, like, they're important. They make sense. And he he just did a fantastic fucking job and i mean story wise too uh i really love the story between those two um it was always just this tension these this i don't know if it was just me but like i felt this tension between the two this is whole entire time because i because you know one of them's gonna have to bring it up like what happened that day uh, uh -huh. that he got arrested and all that it's like and so but it just it all just sort of felt real especially all their whole entire interactions and all that and just i was just waiting for that uh moment of impact when everything goes to shit <laughs> right yeah yeah um and so this whole time you know and because of this movie people are saying like what's better this one or the first one and i honestly can't i want to say the third one is as far as uh better uh, in what way the fighting as a or whole. overall, as a whole, okay. Yeah. But, I'm going to say... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, it's just a lot of it does because of the fighting. That's why I say it's better. It's because right. he did such an amazing job on it. I can honestly point some flaws in the dialogue. Just, I feel like some of the dialogue dialogue was a bit too on the nose. You know, sure. Like, you could tell, like, okay, this is the character moment. <laughs> you know, character arc moment of these two and all that. Or, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, but I'm, I, I'll say that if we're going to have that conversation right now, I would I would still think Creed 3 doesn't quite reach Creed. Mm -hmm. I think it gets close. Um, but I definitely feel with what Jordan was able to do with these fighting sequences, I think he topped at least the fighting scenes that we saw with Creed. Which, by mm -hmm. the way, 
is not easy to do. Mm. I thought what caught, what Coogler did, particularly with the one shot, <laughs> uh, the scene or the fight anyway, that was rather inventive. But I, I'll say that um, what Jordan was able to to do so with the fighting sequences, I think definitely topped. I th- I, I will say the fighting scenes in Creed um, because of that stroke of brilliance mm-hmm. to just like, you know what? Like, because basically he was able to, it, when I think about it, I don't necessarily associate anime first to mind, but it is very anime. And when you also think about it, it's kind of obvious, although not so much in a way that for all of these films, we've never had a sequence like that from the, point of view of solely the people in the match mm-hmm. and you know at first when it was happening i was like are they doing like a like a shadow boxing kind of thing in their minds or they, are they like previewing like what's going to happen next but then the further and further it went i'm like no wait what if this is actually happening but they're just like we're seeing it from their point of view where they've like literally drowned out everything else they've tuned out all the noise and it's just them going at it Mm-hmm. And, then, and it was that whole time and then when like when they go for a reprieve and I think one of the announcers was like I don't know what it is we just saw because <laughs> that's basically the, 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 the spirit of like what we're all feeling mm-hmm. in that moment so I think as far as like action sequences I feel like he stumbled onto something that they should take note of for any installment coming up in the future so mm-hmm. you know it's a give and take I feel like it, it it may be for like how people think of the Halloween movies. I know a lot of people were saying like they really love, I guess Halloween diehards were like saying that Halloween kills they liked better than Halloween because of the one thing they were there for, which was the kills. Mm-hmm. And I guess I can understand that. As somebody who goes there for a good movie, no way in hell is Halloween kills better than Halloween, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not please don't misunderstand me comparing Creed to Halloween as if the quality is comparable <laughs> particularly among the sequels dear god no that's not what I'm saying but ultimately if you're there for the fight scenes and I I would think most people are there for that right uh, you're getting your money's worth let's just say and mm-hmm. then some for sure and you know what? I, as far as the story is concerned can can it be accused of being too cliched? Sure. But I mean, for me, I I don't think with any movie I'm ever as bothered by a cliche's presence just because it's there. I'm more so bothered with how they handle it. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, If the execution is stale and boring and there's nothing about it that tries to do anything interesting with the cliche, that's when I'm concerned. Or that's when I'm like bothered. But if a cliche is there, I'm not gonna like knock it points automatically just because it's there. I mean, it's people have to have a certain set of expectations for what they think this movie is going to be. I mean, it's a creative film. Like, what do you think is gonna happen? Right? So on some level there is that. But as far as the story is concerned, a lot of things worked here. I love the relationship between Don and his wife. I think Tessa Thompson maybe gets a little too little credit for how good she has been in all of these movies mm-hmm. and maybe too little credit for how good she is in any movie. Honestly, she's a great actor and she really is um, Adonis's rock. And also she's no pushover either. 
Mm-hmm. She's not pushing her. She she commands attention. Uh, not not demands. She commands attention as an actor. And she's like, you got. And, and still, we're three movies in, and we see a big part of um, what keeps them a little bit distant is still Adonis has a wall between them. Like there's still mm-hmm. secrets that he's guarding that he doesn't want to um, reveal. The relationship that both of them have with their daughter is so adorable. Oh my gosh. And you buy it completely. At no point does it feel like it's a distraction. It's actually a big part of the movie. It's, it's a big part of like what his character is now. He's a family man. He's got them to fight for. And also the, the not just her being there in the movie, but also like, Having something in the writing where, like, she, you know, yes, she's deaf, but that's not the totality of what she is. And mm-hmm. honestly, I'm happy that it's not treated as a handicap. Like, she's not at all. Mm-hmm. And how she is inspired to be a fighter. And of course, that would happen. Uh, again, it's just continuing on because that's what he would do when he was a boy, because, you know, of the Creed name, basically. Uh, and yeah, I, I and, and how the movie ended was so sweet. Mm-hmm. So I love that, 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 like that match that they had between each other, um, to end the film. Also, you could, again, you could also say it's cliche, but I don't care. The acting, the performance is there. Jordan and majors. You felt all of that. Mm-hmm. You felt every bit of it. You felt the resentment. You felt the distance. You felt the disappointment. You felt the regret in every last bit of the beats that were played throughout there. And even I, myself, I'll say it. I was caught off guard a little bit there. Cause I knew, cause from, I think it was like halfway through the film. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I like misremember the trailers here? Like I thought majors at some point, he's got to go up against um, Adonis. Like what's happening here. And you do see like the warning telltale red flags of like, this guy may be a bit too unstable here. I know mm-hmm. some other people were trying to tell him that. Um, but still, I got a little bit caught off guard when like, oh, he was playing him the whole time. I thought they were going the route with like, oh, no, he's just he's actually trying to do good. But it's just that his nature prevents him from, you know, reaching mm-hmm. his full potential. And that's still at play a little bit there. But no, that is. Uh, Creed got played. Yeah, <laughs> he got played like a fiddle <laughs> mm-hmm. here, basically. And in the in the like, you take a step back and you look at like the plan that was devised. Wow, like he got it, and like he got his title, and just like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, made a fool out of him, and then also it made him look bad in front of all of the other, you know, people. And shh, damn, man. Uh, it was like, whoa, 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 this is, but of course you, at the same time, it's like Jonathan Majors is one of the best actors working today right now. For sure. Cause you know, there are moments where you hate him, but you also kind of like him there too. You, you know, like I'm him, like, you kind of feel, you kind of feel sorry for him. Mm. You do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. I also loved the, the, the story beat here. Um, with Felicia Rashad, uh, who's been great in all of these films. We, uh, she plays Adonis's mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, she also uh, plays a a part here to play as well. So 
Um, I'm really am working my mind here, David, trying to think like what didn't work all that well. Perhaps the dialogue. There's mm-hmm. that too. If there's one glaring thing, I will say, especially when I'm comparing it to Creed, for instance, I would have liked Ludwig to be ba- to have you know done the music here because I don't think the film the the, the music ended up reaching the highs that Creed did. Yeah. And and I think I, I noticed someone on Twitter uh, mentioned this. It is not, and maybe it's because Ludwig himself isn't back to score the film, but his theme uh, that he wrote for Creed in the first film isn't used hardly, maybe like once or twice. Mm. And perhaps that was a mistake. Mm. Okay. I was, yeah, I, I definitely noticed the, the the score kind of lacking a little bit especially in the third act you know there's there's mm-hmm. one thing you do not hear which at first i was kind of like ah oh, i kind of wish they did but at the same time kind of like no, no no i mean this is creed's movie now you know before because it was you know rocky by his side i don't know maybe um but then yeah like i mentioned though with the dialogue it was just a little bit too out of nose like there was one where uh adonis was maybe that's more the anime inspiration who knows <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah maybe too. it was a choice but, I don't know I don't think so either because um like look at what I just sent you yeah, yeah. I I I that I forgot that happened in the film but it's like whoa yeah I just I just sent you a, a picture of Goku and Vegeta uh where they just like hit each other fists in the face like yeah. that happened in the actual movie mm-hmm. with um with Majors and with Creed yeah well I was actually talking about it with my dad like yeah yeah he takes a lot of inspiration from anime and I showed him that picture I showed him one where like they kept punching the gut and all that um mm-hmm. I love the and I think it was one of the the earlier fights where like I forget who was the first fighter that Creed had but this is the first fight in the movie mm-hmm. and like he hit him and it was like basically a little bit in slow-mo mm-hmm. and you saw like how it affected I don't know if it was it, it hit him in the in the arm or it was on the belly i don't know where, where it was exactly but mm. you saw the impact mm-hmm. it's like ooh, it's like seeing a car crash in slow motion it was so good mm-hmm. um but what was i talking about oh sorry it's like a, yeah i was talking with my dad about it that and you know that that hit uh where they punch each other at the same time i was i said oh it, it's probably it's probably a reference to uh rocky three where at the end of that movie uh rocky and apollo fight each other but like it's just them two in the ring no one else no like cameras or anything like that and it's the last shot where they both like go for the hit and they punch each other at the face at the same time and i thought it was gonna be that but then my dad mentions no it's probably a reference to the second one where rocky and apollo punch each other at the same time both on the floor and then whoever wins um whoever gets up first wins the fight (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and so, but yeah, it's just, that's why, like I said, like these, I mentioned this, like the punches, um, they're not just there because of anime references and all that. Like, no, these hits are important. They like, each one actually means something. And my favorite one is when, um, uh, the bad guy, Dame. Dame? Yes, Dame. Yeah. Dame, he um, fucking, he's fight, he's he's doing his match, the one that like makes him uh, famous. Famous, 
and there's one where like he goes for a punch i think kind of misses i don't know if he missed it on purpose but like he but he pushes his elbow across the guy's face and scratches him that's for sure you've seen that in anime you know whether like they go for a punch you think nothing happened but then like a little cut goes in the cheek and blood goes down and shit you know that's that's very anime but like that's important too because like it's it shows like how much he's cheating and showing like those all those little moments that like we probably would have missed but mm-hmm. everyone else is seeing they're kind of like what the fuck um it's actually after that fight though that that's where i was like oh my gosh major jonathan majors is fucking great actor because he wins the fight and you know he's looking at uh, adonis and going like dude like i won you know it's like a part of him wants him to be excited but also another part of him is kind of like oh he knows um <laughs> uh, adonis isn't liking did not like this match and all that and it's just it's so good um i was i haven't seen your pictures yeah, yeah, I just went over some stuff that I've I've noticed on Twitter. Uh, some of the other people that I've been noticing, right? Yeah. As to like uh, the some of the shots uh, in the fight that were very much inspired by anime, mm-hmm. and you're seeing that right there, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Jeez, man. No. Yeah, I I would say that uh, to your overall. If there's anything to critique, yeah, the film, the, the music was lacking for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't bad, no, yeah, but it just wasn't in, it wasn't the character that it was in the first film either. Yeah, for sure. And as a matter of fact, let me just look, look up right now who did that. Cause I, I was hilariously just looking at Creed, uh, the, the I was listening to the soundtrack right now or the score, I should say, uh, for the original movie. Um, let me look at some of the reactions uh, that I've been seeing. Uh, this is Brandon uh, Strussing. Uh, was so impressed by Michael B. Jordan's direction in Creed 3 that I had the thought on the way home that I hoped he would be directing Rainbow Six. I think he meant Rambo. Like, I don't mm. know what the fuck Rainbow is. Yeah. <laughs> Rambo Six. And then I saw that it's Chad um, Stahelski. And it's like, nope, never mind. No notes continue. Um Let's see here. Kevin at at uh, Kevin Lee here at Twitter at Klee Film Review. I love how Creed 3 is finally being its own thing while maintaining a canon. The stakes feel so personal this time. The tension between Adonis and Damien is palpable. Michael B. Jordan makes a directing choice in the third act and I ate it up and I know what he's talking about because I ate it up too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So many details. I love from this, but mainly I love how it actually feels like a third entry that built on top of the previous two films. Like it's building its own canon. Put a big smile on my face multiple times. Actually, finally, we have a Creed movie, Mm -hmm. as in just him. Not going to lie, though. uh, One personal little nitpick I have with this movie. I think so much of the Creed identity is found in Ludwig Göransson's music here not only is he not back to score for a third time, but his theme is underused and is missed out on a lot of feels. Big positive, Michael B. Jordan wasn't kidding when he said he was inspired by anime on directing the fight scenes. He swings hard here on the aesthetics, and I think it lands precisely because he understands how the anime format heightens what characters go through in a fight. Mm-hmm. And it really was, in a way, like... Am I watching Dragon Ball for a minute here? It mm-hmm. really did feel that way sometimes and how personal it was. Like, yeah, he's he's nailing this. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that just shows how much of his, like, directional uh, 
how much is how much his direction like really was great, added was added yeah because that final fight there wasn't really a lot of music playing in that moment but no. like you could tell the story that is going on within that fight and it's so good like you know when the cage went down all those moments where they're like yelling at each other um it just he really killed it <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. um let me see here i gotta ask you though just think was there anything you would have preferred that they, that they, that they didn't do in the movie that they didn't do um uh Oh, um, there were moments uh, where they just like tell us stuff and didn't show it. Um, you know when um, Creed, uh, Creed, Adonis uh, set up the fight with him, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Dame was talking to him on the phone, and he's saying like that. Uh, no, he was talking to the to those news people, the sports news people, and they were saying like, "Oh, Dame's been talking shit about you, saying like that you you betrayed him or something, uh, a seller or something." I don't know, I can't remember what he's talking about, but they're. Yeah, but yeah, maybe we should have seen that. Yeah, we should have seen that. Just kind of like add the tension to it, or at least even during the uh, training sequence. You know that he keeps doing that. He keeps talking shit. Well, I mean, he did kind of say that, did do that, but it was only like one little moment. The rest of it right. was just training. Um, I think there was some. Oh, so, uh, it wasn't a big deal to me, but like once I saw, uh, I saw someone else pointing it out, I was kind of like, yeah, they put a, probably should have worked on that, but um. Basically, like the way uh, Dame just became famous, like that, <laughs> or like yeah, I was a little bothered by that. That is a nitpick. I felt like I don't know the the, the movie. I think is the same length as the other ones, so mm-hmm. about two hours. But that was like mm, I would have maybe it felt like we we jumped over that too quickly. Yeah, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. so that's another one of the th- these things where I also even though we know what what did you make of. Do you think there should have been some line here or there to explain why Rocky is not around? Or did, we didn't need that. I mean, I guess I was curious because I didn't see Creed 2. But now mm-hmm. knowing, like, I feel like it's kind of obvious he's kind of like, he's with the family right now. He's just not, he's not in this anymore. He's with his family. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of wish they would have mentioned it. Uh, just because, like his presence, like you really do feel it. Like he, I, he's, there's a, there's, I mean, he has, he has a low point in this movie mm-hmm. that if Sylvester Stallone was up for it, you'd think they would have brought him in the third act at least for mm-hmm. his low point because he's always the one that gets him out of it. Like if there's anything in this movie that would bring Rocky into the picture, it would be after his loss, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I, I wouldn't even have minded like a phone call. You know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, Just one scene. Like he he steps up the fight, and you know, he sets up the fight, and everyone's just kind of like, "Okay, are you ready?" Like he's gonna train and all. The training's kind of getting hard, and then that's when he calls him up, and he's kind of like, "This guy, you know, is pretty dangerous." And all that. like, I don't know what he would say exactly, but like, I think a phone call would have been nice and all. But right. Um, but again, though, it's still, it's still, though, like, it still feels like this is his own personal fight that he has to go through alone. You right. Know? Because right. This is and something it is the first time without, yeah, he doesn't need Rocky anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Michael B. Jordan doesn't need Sylvester Stallone. Like, this is his, his franchise for sure. Mm-hmm. I also want to say, I was quite surprised with the tone that they struck for um, with, with Dame and with Adonis after it was all over, after Adonis won, 
and actually was quite happy and satisfied that their relationship wasn't left in this dark and bitter place. Because mm-hmm. I feel like in, perhaps in in franchises like these and in um, stories like these, there is a bit of a tendency to kind of like leave rivalries at that and to keep it going. And not to say that they put the rivalry to bed, but it's always left on a bad or sour note. Mm-hmm. And what I did like was there was this moment that they had between the two of them, like an acknowledgement um, and maybe a lingering feeling perhaps that one day there could be a reconciliation. Um, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. I liked the conversation. It wasn't like, it was just he's a compelling was, antagonist maybe the most they've had in the whole franchise right like oh, easily yeah for sure no i love the whole thing the entire time like i said like there was like this little tension between the two of them in the beginning where mm-hmm. you know they gotta they're gonna have to bring up what happened that day uh when the, he got arrested and all but they don't you know that i don't know why maybe they're afraid like what's gonna bring who's gonna bring what up who's gonna say what and all that but they're kind of just trying to move on okay that's Let's just help each other out. And then the whole time, I don't know what his goal is. Everyone else is like, no, he's too, like, you know, you can't trust him and all that, blah, 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 even though they're going off by little information. Um, But there is some, uh, I, I guess maybe because of the trailers, you know, like, you know, it's just gonna go, go, shit's going to go down. So you are kind of like, okay, what are you doing? Like, when are you going to do? What's going to be the tipping point of, like, you going up against uh, Adonis and all that? And then there's like these little small moments where he just sees Adonis and his whole life, you know, and you're kind of like, is it good for him to see this? Like, he really is. He really did miss out on everything because of that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just kind of like, and that's why that's what brings attention because, like, he sees, like, he looks at his house. He sees, like, you got a glass floor on the, on the, on the second. Yeah. And then, you know, he goes to that little party. You know, he's just by himself, and like it does this one moment where he goes up to uh, Adonis's wife, mm-hmm. and he's like, uh, "How do you feel like watching someone else sing your songs and all that?" It's like, "Oh yeah, like they're kind of on the same boat, on the same boat. Like they, their dreams aren't like what they thought it would How they, be." Yeah, yeah, you're you right. Know? Yeah, and it's just like, okay, is he gonna like? <laughs> and, and in my head, I'm just thinking all these kinds of like bad things that he's gonna do is like oh my gosh is he gonna like try to pit, pin her against him uh against adonis or something like what is he gonna do um uh and so yeah it's just this constant constant tension between the two of them and then uh after that final fight you know he realizes he loses and it's just kind of like okay i guess it's not so much that like oh his career is done or anything like that like no he can still keep going mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like okay you did earn this (laughs) you know like uh adonis did earn what he's um gotten and i think he just kind of realizes that you know absolutely i want to say also uh i know movie logic and everything but it all comes down to a misunderstanding really at the end of the day and i wonder why he didn't tell him i mean the misunderstanding in that um, the letters that James sent from prison, mm. um, he never saw them. Well, I mean that, but also Adonis told he never visited though. Either way, like right, either way, it, yeah. So it's it's it was a bad circumstance, but I mean either way though, they both 
could have done something better. <laughs> right. I also want to read this uh, from Polygon. They did an interview with Michael B. Jordan, and I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, because uh, they referred to the um, references, particularly in the inspiration from anime. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was asked this question. So while doing press for Creed 3, you've said there's a punch in the fight between Adonis and Damien. That's a reference to Dragon Ball Z. So let's start there. Was that punch, the shot of Adonis and Damien landing a cross counter blow at the same time? And was it a nod to the fight between Goku and Vegeta in the Majin Buu saga? Hmm. And Michael B. Jordan was like, no, that punch is Naruto and uh, is it Sasuke? Yeah. Hmm. Sasuke from episode 450. <laughs> wow. He actually, from episode 450 of Naruto Shibuden anime. Wow. Okay. Oh, wow. You tripped me up. And Michael mm. B. Jordan uh, responds with, yeah, but that punch has happened a few times in anime. It happened in Dragon Ball Z also between Goku and Vegeta. But for me, Creed, the, the Creed 3 scene was about the relationship between two brothers. So the relationship between Naruto and Sasuke was where the inspiration for that relationship kind of stemmed from. And of course... um, if we think about it, no, at that point in the anime, Vegeta and Goku, going back to Dragon Ball, didn't really see each other as brothers. That that honestly, if you think about it, that kind of bond took the whole series to kind of get to, mm -hmm. uh, just to even be considered friends. And then it kind of was like taken further in in Super, so. Let's see further on the fight is uh, Michael B. Jordan continues the fight between Creed and Damien had to be an even battle and in an emotionally high place where these two men were both bearing their souls to one another. Mm -hmm. The emotional level they were at where they were. Let me say it again. The emotional level they were at where they were coming at it from the emotions between those two characters. That was the moment I learned I leaned into that scene from Naruto. And the next question. Were you watching Naruto while working on pre-production for Creed 3? And at some point you just said, I have to put this moment in here. Then he responds, no. I mean, I don't watch anime every day. <laughs> it's, it's like these images are burned into my head. So when I was in pre-production and putting together the fight choreography, it was just second nature to me. To reach for that. There's a few moments like that in there. The gut punch, boom. There were moments during production where I was like, where do I infuse these moments? I just have to, I have a highlight reel of moments from my favorite anime constantly running through my head that, you know, it makes sense. If it makes sense. And if it fits with the movie, I just pull from that for inspiration. You know, try this or try that. It just came together naturally like that. It's hard to explain, but yeah. Then it goes on. He gets asked. The relationship between Adonis and Jonathan Major's character, um, Damien in this film, feels like a quintessential type of relationship you often see in anime. Childhood friends turned rivals. You mentioned Naruto and Sasuke, but were were what were some other sources you pulled 
you pulled from in defining the relationship between Adonis and Damien? And then he responds, Ed and Alf- Alphonse, Alphonse from Full Mental Alchemist. Is that the character's name? Mm. Full Metal Alchemist uh, was definitely one. Goku and Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. Um, uh, excuse me <laughs> if I don't say these names correctly. Uh, Bakugo? Yeah. Uh, and Midoriya? Bakugo uh, Midoriya. Yeah. Midoriya from My Hero Academia. Mm. Those are just a few. When you're watching anime, there's all these similar tones, themes, and feelings between them all that in a sense boil down to when a hero is challenged and they usually have a best friend or rival that's the one challenging them in a lot of ways there's a lot of different ways anime iterates on these themes and feelings so for me tapping into that was just a part of me these are just some of the ones i watch but these points are interchangeable across a lot of different anime And that's what I love about it. They repackage these feelings and beats and emotions in different ways through different styles of animation. I'm watching Blue Lock right now, which is dope as fuck. Mm -hmm. And that's all about the ego of these characters, them developing their skills and devouring different styles and defeating others in order to to evolve and grow. Um, Are you done there? No, I I'm, I I can keep going, but I want you to respond okay. to what it's just. I mean, this this is why I, I gotta like praise his fucking direction because you know all those all those characters that he mentions, like there is dialogue going on between the fights, you know, and the one the one of the ones he mentions, uh, Bakugo and Midoriya, you know that one they're not talking to each other, but Bak Bakugo, oh, Bakugo, I think I think that's the main character, the main character. He, um, you're hearing his thoughts throughout the fight and all that, and it it just it adds to the emotional uh, stakes, I guess, uh, of their fight and all that. And like, and this is why you gotta praise Michael B. Jordan for this movie because there is no dialogue going on in that final fight, but like you understand what exactly is going on in their minds and all that, and why they are fighting, you know. And and like, I'll I'll spoil the Bakugo Midoriya one. Um, one of them. Uh, he didn't have any powers at all, but he like got got it from the most powerful, uh, he, the greatest superhero uh, in the world. And uh, when the okay, I remember now, Midoriya is the main character. Okay, yeah. So when Bakugo found out about that, he was kind of like pissed off because it's like you were just a little runt. Like, how the fuck did mm-hmm. you get powers all of a sudden, dude? Um, and but also like the greatest superhero in the world is training, um, Midoriya and. They both they both looked up to them and all that. So it's just kind of like, what is going on? Like, why, like, why are you getting all these things? Why are you getting strong? Like, why do you gain powers? Well, how are you getting so much stronger than me? Like, I don't understand. And in that moment, in that fight, like, it's it's just it's just like it's really great moment because uh, uh, Bakugo he's just pissed off because not only not only because of like how well Midoriya is doing. But because it's because of Bakugo though that the greatest superhero has to retire now because he fucked up, <laughs> you know. Mm. And Midoriya's mind is just going like, "I'm I'll fight you, but I'm not gonna be your fucking punchy bag, okay?" So like, if we're gonna fight, we're gonna fight hard and and shit. And so like, that's why that that whole thing is so emotional. But it's all still said through dialogue. You don't see it through their punches, through their through their fighting and all that and all the dodges. But again, 
Michael B. Jordan though does that without dialogue, and you gotta mm-hmm. praise him for that. Yeah. <laughs> it actually in that third act um, battle, the fight. It there were moments of it that reminded me of some of my favorite um, moments in all of the Dragon Ball anime. Um, I'll, I'll name those two right now. In and as far as like how in a complete moment of Zen, those two are when they're just like going at it, like uninterrupted, just, you know, trading blows left and right. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of um, the Goku Kid Buu fight at the end of Dragon Ball Z anyway, when they're on the sacred planet of the Kai's plan- mm-hmm. um, place. And they're just like, there's even a line I think Kabuto Kai says, my, my, my goodness, even the heavens themselves are shaking with like how, you know, much those two are going at it. And then of course... One of the ones that still was just like, I get goosebumps just watching every time was, you know, Ultra Instrict Goku uh, and Jiren in the Universal uh, Tournament of Power, mm-hmm. basically, um, toward the end of it. Yeah. That's another example. Uh, when uh, Goku goes Ultra Instinct, you had Whis, I don't know. Yes. Uh, he's explaining the battle of like what's going uh. on in Goku's mind and all that. And it's just kind of, and even though the dialogue is great and all that, it's like, it's so like interesting to hear. Um, they need, they need that in the anime. <laughs> right. It didn't need to be spelled out. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a great moment either way, but right. And that's what happens. Let me get, continue reading on here with um, the question asked Creed three opens as a flashback to Adonis's childhood and his bedroom is cluttered with anime memorabilia. There's a Lupin the third poster, a Gumpla model figure on his dresser, a Robotech poster on the wall behind his door, and a screen-printed Naruto banner hanging off the side of his desk, to name a few. <laughs> you would have been Adonis's age back in 2002, give or take a year. What was it like drawing from your real-life passion for anime to craft this previously unseen dimension of Adonis as a kid? He responds with, it was fun, you know? As an actor, you find ways to bring a piece of yourself and your reality to these characters and make them real and relatable as much as you can. At a certain point, Adonis was going through the same things I was going through, those same types of challenges. Exploring the idea of identity, your blessings, your gifts, your survivor's guilt, your imposter syndrome, the relationship between you and your loved ones, your family, your friends, with communicating and talking through your emotions. How do you deal with success? How do you deal with being in the spotlight and still retaining some type of normal life while staying grounded? All those things, man. When the opportunity presented itself to craft this character, who I am, in a sense, becoming... In a way that felt true to my own reality, it was a great feeling, man. Put those Easter eggs in there. Put those anime references in there. Let them see and feel who this kid was and who he is now. This is where he came from. This is how it started. I had the chance to almost redo the origin story, essentially. That was a very satisfying and gratifying experience. Um, And then it asks, uh, how did you iterate on-fight choreography? from animation so it made sense in a live action boxing film and then he responds we used a lot of parallaxing shots in which the camera is in motion while the subject in the background appear to be moving at different speeds for the fight scenes parallaxing shots happen in anime all the time it's a part of the visual language of the medium to do that in live action in a way that succeeds at getting at those at those same feelings and that effect 
is really tough to do. It's damn near impossible, you know? It's really, really hard. So finding the cuts in the edit that communicates that communicate what Adonis was looking at, suggesting why he was looking at that and that you're going to find out why later, that was how I found a way around the challenge. Usually, you'd go into an internal dialogue, a thought process of whoever the character is as they're getting ready to plot, and you're letting that audience know what's going to happen and what he's thinking about. You know what I'm saying? What of the world is he putting together? Like, he's putting together these pieces of information that are going to come together for this payoff. It's all about bringing the audience into Adonis's head, showing his smarts and intelligence. He's not just throwing punches out there. He's playing chess. He's willing to make sacrifices for a big payoff. That was the thought process behind the first fight anyway with Conan. Mm. Conlon, not Conan, mm. sorry. Conlon. I used a bolt camera grip for the fight scenes. It's this piece of camera equipment, which is basically like a mechanical arm, like the ones they use on a car assembly lines. You know, the ones that weld all the pieces of the frame together. And then the next car goes up. It just hits every spot every time. We put a camera on top of the programmed and, sorry, we put a camera on top of that and programmed the movements so that it gave us these really cool ramped slow motion shots. That was really cool. I love talking about this stuff. Um, oh, also one thing, I, I, this is actually something that, that, that this question gets to, because I really love the idea of that the third act took place at Dodger Stadium. Mm. That was a great venue to have that fight. Yeah. So there's an establishing shot before the fight between Creed and Damien that shows the fight is taking place in Dodger Stadium. Another name for a baseball field is... A diamond. So I inter interpreted that as a nod to Damien's nickname, Damien Dame Anderson. Mm. It felt a lot like domain expansion from Jujutsu Kaisen, the concept of manifesting one of one's psychic energy into a physical space as a way of intimidating and overpowering one's opponent. Was that choice of location at all deliberate? And he responds with, it was deliberate. Not for that reason, but I love the connection. See, this is why I love anime, because you're watching a lot of anime, your mind will go to those comparisons, and now you can put those things together and make it personal for you. That's why I actually took that's what I actually took away from a lot of the stuff I did in this movie. Anime is not broad, but it's so layered that people will naturally make those connections that make the most sense to them. But no, that's not why I chose a location. I wanted the fight to be outdoors, and I really wanted to establish it as an L.A. story. I wanted it to be iconic, so I chose Dodger Stadium. And then it was also because my dad was a Dodgers fan growing up. He used to sneak out to baseball games with my uncles and stuff, so that choice was you know, my homage to him as well. But for me, The Void, a moment where Creed and Damien are impressionistically otherwise empty stadium, is probably the biggest anime swing I took in this movie. That's the thing we talk about when everything else goes, you know, to the background. Mm. Because as you know, in anime, you've got the, these two main characters who are going at it, right? Usually, they go to a quiet place, and it's usually either all white or black space, and they're just calmly talking about how they feel emotionally. Meanwhile, they're going hard at each other. They're physically trying to take each other's heads off. It's just about these two guys and nobody else. And the void is a way 
that idea is communicated through anime. It's like that moment in Naruto where Sasuke first went to go talk to Karuma. Um, you know what I'm saying? When Sasuke acknowledged that Karuma, the nine-tailed fox, was inside of Naruto and was like, oh, this is what you got up inside you? That That's what's inside of you? Nah, we're, we're about to shut all that shit down. They went to that space. I was like, oh man, we should... That would be dope if I could figure out a way to get these two guys into a void. And that's where they were really having their final battle at. It wasn't about nobody else. It wasn't about fighting anybody else watching the fight. It's uh, It was about these two dudes who couldn't emotionally say that they had to say with their words. So they had to physically get it out through fighting. So that idea evolved into revisiting their childhood trauma and making it more like performance art even. There was a moment where there were subtitles during the scene as well. I started experimenting with subtitles so that with every exchange they had, there would be something set along with it and a lot of posturing, no music, no nothing. The sound was just these primal grunts of rage and emotion. But then I had to realize... I'm making this movie for everybody around the world. Not everybody is used to reading and watching something at the same time as anime fans are. So I didn't want to take away from one or the other and have people miss certain things. So I decided to hold back on the subtitles and let it just be about these two guys figuring out between each other. Mm, that was a good call. Yeah. That Very good call, which is what you were saying, yeah, right? It would like, have been weird. Any of that. Yeah, it would have been weird to add subtitles on there or something like that. <laughs> But yeah, um, let me... Oh, this last question's good. So you've spoken at length in the past about how Dragon Ball Z and Naruto mean to you. What is it about those anime uh, that resonates with you and speaks to you so deeply? Where does that love come from? And then he responds, oh man, that's deep. <clears throat> there are so many layers I can get into, but like for Dragon Ball Z, it's Goku's resilience, you know? No matter how much pain and struggle he goes through every battle, a Saiyan only gets stronger. They could even lose... But they're going to come back stronger until they eventually beat you. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. Even sometimes in death, he's going to come back. He comes back all the time. And he's going to become stronger until he beats you. I think that resilience, that never give up attitude, is what I connect with. And I dig that. I think that unassuming nature of Goku, his disarming nature combined with his ability to be ready for whatever happens when his back is against the wall, is really inspiring. He really steps up to whatever challenge. The bonds and relationships of Naruto are, are what speak to me. Him being an outcast, being different, being shunned away from everybody, and still being able to not hold a grudge, keep a smile on his face, keep his promise, and go to the ends of the earth in order to live up to that promise is what resonates for me. And then just the idea of having that inner demon inside of you, that inner beast, I think that's something strong to have, an inner sense of self. And that's not even getting into the story of all the Hockages before him? The what? <laughs> the Hockages? I don't know. Hokages? Uh, the H-O-K-A-G-E-S? I don't know Naruto all that well, so I guess that's a reference. I think it's Hokaigen? I don't know. Ho maybe it could be that. It could be that, because that's... I don't know. It's so layered with all the supporting characters and their own powers that represent certain things about them. Uh, Shikamaru is one of my favorite characters. Rock Lee is one of my favorites. Somebody who wasn't naturally gifted and wasn't able to be to use any of the other uh, jutsu and whatnot. 
but still decided that that ninjutsu is going to be the one thing that he's going to be perfect and great at. He's going to work hard and he's going to be able to overcome any obstacle. Even his mentor, Guy Lee, he's going to match his level and surpass it. So for me, Naruto is about promises. The importance of keeping your promises and being able to say, I'm sorry. The importance of the bonds and friendships you make when you're coming up. I could go on in a lot of different ways, but I think those are the ones that really stick out to me the most and why I think they resonate with a lot of other people too. And that was it. Mm. So a lot of really interesting uh, insight as to like what his mind uh, was thinking about when he was making this movie. But overall, I think it all adds up to this is a, this is a winner of a movie and mm-hmm. definitely want to go see. And look, I don't get too many. When I go out and see the movies in theaters, it's it, it, these days especially, it's not often you get applause. But the audience is digging it up. And before we go, I do want to get into like what was going on. So... <laughs> I was uh, on the aisle, so the, the, well, the aisle balcony toward the upper half of the theater, and close by me, there were like these two rows that were practically full. Now, I don't know if this was one big group or two smaller groups that were each in their own way contributing to the distractions, but I'll just say that for most of the movie it felt as if they were talking over it Mm. particularly talking over the parts that weren't about the fighting because you couldn't hear any of it with the fighting but when the fighting wasn't on display and it was more of just scenes of the characters interacting and talking that's when you felt like from that section of the audience there was a lot of like mumbling and talking and whispering and just generally a lot of noises. Some of the kids that were there, this is not much of a kid's movie, so I'm not sure how much it is, how much is there for them, mm-hmm. but I could definitely hear it. And I mean, this was consistent throughout the whole movie, giggling, mm. laughing, just distractions, popcorn falling, phones falling, uh, phones with flashlights on because they need to look for their things. Uh, one or two of them were constantly getting in and out of their seats to go to different seats. Just like the the unbelievable number of noises that was just coming from those people was just, I kept looking like, it's like, really, man? Mm. The whole time. It's, 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 it was ridiculous. Mm. And I'm not saying it was awful or one of the worst experiences I've had, but I'm like, there's no there's no reason for you to be making this much noise. It was just it was pathetic honestly. It was like really, man. Anyway, that's Creed 3. Go out and see it. Go out and see all of these movies. I feel like this is easily one of the better trilogies we've had in this, you know, this century for sure. And I feel <laughs> like, you know, we only ever seem to talk about them when a new one comes out and maybe we should stop doing that. It's like, you know, there's a lot of films and trilogies like their most recent planet of the apes trilogy that only ever get like any kind of talk when a new installment comes out and like, no, we shouldn't forget that they're, they feature some of the best films released in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly. So against all the odds. So let's, let, let's, let's do more about not forgetting how great these movies are. Anything else you'd like to say, David, before we go. 
Um, no. I'm good. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> thank you all for being here. Uh, stay in our spotlight every single Sunday for more new uh, podcasts. The Academy Awards are coming up, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. And until next time, we will see you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.